You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome to part two of Defender, the final part of the final book in the Steve Barnes trilogy. Uh, If you are listening to this first, go back and listen to the first half of Defender and then you will, this will make sense. Otherwise it will, I mean, it'll only make so much sense. It's an awful book. (laughs) But if you care about narrative structure, you shouldn't be here anyway. But But do go back, listen to part one. That was released today as well. And we can all enjoy the second part of Defender. Here we are for the second sitting, the second half of Defender. Um, just to recap what has happened. Steve Barnes uh, is going for broke with four attackers in a game for Leddersford Town as they go for promotion in a season when two deaths have surrounded the club, but he doesn't mention that. Uh, his Brazilian centre-back, who's a kind of Edmundo figure, Cabral, has disappeared, rumoured to be in Amsterdam or back in Brazil. However, a extortionist, which he has named Chummy, is trying to get £1 million out of Steve Barnes in exchange for returning Cabral. Steve Barnes then goes on a wild goose chase from phone to phone across the M62 area uh, in an attempt to find him. Doesn't find him. Instead, we join him as he goes for a pint with Peter Penrice. <laughs> so he, he goes to meet Peter Penrice in the feathers... First things first, I'd say this is the most we see into the character of Peter Penrice. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's also the first time that Peter Penrice gets slightly involved in, yeah. uh, in, in the case. Yeah. In previous uh, books, Peter Penrice has been the sort of social foil to Steve Barnes, <laughs> the sort of um, pint in the pub light uh, at the end of a very long crime-based tunnel. <laughs> fair to say as well that he's tried to meet Peter Penrice in the pub for a drink before yeah. and it's never actually come off. It's, well, wait, it's waiting for Goddo. Uh, <laughs> if Goddo was an expert in the Yorkshire Ripper case. This is what's great. <laughs> Whoa. Peter Penrice turns out to be not just interested in the same topics, uh, brackets murder, crime, as Steve Barnes, but also to talk about it in exactly the same banal, matter-of-fact style. <laughs> so uh, Peter Penrice says, do you remember the Yorkshire Ripper? I replied, Everyone does. And if they don't remember him, they have read about him. Then Barnes sums this up. Peter Sutcliffe, a Bradford man who killed about 15 women. Get it right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even in quote. Like, Google it. Show some respect. (laughs) About about 15. It was about that one. I can't be bothered to check. More than 10, less than 20. (laughs) God. (laughs) So. But he's from Bradford. Yeah. Peter has read a book about uh, the Yorkshire Ripper. 
I read it in this book. I was only reading it again the other day. He's reread a book about the Yorkshire Ripper. That's great. <laughs> it's really, it's a lovely detail that, oh, well, it's a good that you've come to me about this now because actually just the other day I was rereading my book about the Yorkshire Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> So, While so I was I'm... waiting for you to not turn up to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, he explains, are you aware of what happened in the Yorkshire Ripper race with uh, the Wearsize Jack figure, who was, I'm sure you'll be aware of this skull, because yeah. you've got an interest, much like Peter But Pan I was Rancy only rereading with... the book the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wearsize Jack pretended to be the Yorkshire Ripper and sent, sent a series in a fake of tapes of, yeah, of himself speaking and sent them in the wrong yeah. So it famously, it kind of sent them in the wrong way, probably led to more deaths because they were looking for someone with a northeastern accent. Right. However, Peter Penrice takes this idea that actually led to more deaths in the Yorkshire Ripper case and said, you should try and do what they did, which is think about the way the guy speaks and... <laughs> and use that to try and work out who it is. But well, that that was literally the most critical error made in the Yorkshire Ripper case. Yeah, it was the most critical. It was the most In fact, if there's one thing to take away from the Yorkshire Ripper case, it's not to do this. <laughs> but I suggest Peter Penrice goes back and read this book a third time. <laughs> Although in this in this alternative universe, maybe this was the thing that cracked the case. I'm glad, in a way, that he's used a real example here. It would have been awful. If he'd done a kind of one of his amalgam things. If he'd said, Paul Sutcliffe from Barnstock. (laughs) (laughs) The Lancashire Terror. (laughs) Anyway, he knows just the man who could do this. What's nice is that Peter's got quite a sort of impatient tone with him as well here. So so, so Steve does have his doubts and he says, the guy wasn't the killer. So, So what's the relevance? Peter sighed. Can't you ever understand anything first time? What do you think uh, Steve replies to that, to to justify the fact that he's not very bright? Lack of GCSEs. I'm a centre-half. We're not very bright. (laughs) (laughs) He's gone full circle, hasn't he? Because I thought he had a chip on his shoulder in the early books that he was actually quite intelligent. And now he's doing himself down. Yeah, but he's sitting with someone who re-reads books about the Yorkshire (laughs) Ripper. Um, So, Steve Barnes knows exactly the person who could do a uh, language analysis. Any guesses? Sir Lawrence? No, it's the man he's employed as a translator to teach Cabral English. Oh, hello. So, Julie knocks at the door, brings in Mr Shaw, who's the uh, translator. So what happened is Steve Barnes goes, last night, while the conversation was fresh in my mind, I wrote down some things that Chummy said. So he hasn't got a recording. No. These are just written down things that Chummy said. This scene... Beggar's belief, in my view. He has photocopied the notes for his own use, though, to be fair. So, he's, yeah. you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a method. OK, so basically what happens in this scene, he tries to talk the guy into doing some language analysis of what Chummy said purely from the transcripts that Steve Barnes has written down. Hang on. <laughs> we're Side Jack and Peter Penrice's advice is to listen to his, like, yeah, intonation. Yeah, but instead, his... after his conversation with Peter Penrice, he's gone, well, what I'll do, I'll just write down some things that Chummy said and they'll right. take them to a language teacher and he'll be able to tell me where the person is from. Yeah, OK. You'd have to argue there are too many degrees of separation there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's an anonymous phone call in a phone box, written down and yeah. then passed on to an English teacher. Yeah. 
So, the guy uses a few big words as well, and there's this, this continuous riff about how Steve Barnes doesn't like teachers because they are a bit kind of hoity-toity. Mm. They can never say anything plainly. They have to talk and write long, convoluted sentences. Why can they never get straight to the point? Yeah. Again, it's a slightly hypocritical from a man whose entire writing style <laughs> is just to pop in whatever thoughts he's having. <laughs> As he goes. But the man says, uh, it seems to me, looking at some of these statements, that the kidnapper is not a first language speaker. You mean? Yes. He sounds like a foreigner. Did he have an accent? We all have an accent, I said. I'm a Geordie. That's not the same, says Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Did he have a broken accent? So, basically, what turns out is, from the phrases that he's written down that are broken English... Like, they kind of miss conjunctions, that kind of thing. Yeah. This guy points out to Steve Barnes, the fact this guy hasn't used proper English might hint that it's not his first language. Right. Okay. But also, it doesn't. it's not ideal to read this because Steve Barnes's own writing style is so bad <laughs> that Steve Barnes describing someone speaking in broken English isn't actually that far away from the quite sort of clumsy way in which he himself writes his novels. <laughs> he talks in broken English. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. no separate English. So, of course, someone would say, this is in broken English. Yeah, it's, it's a real sort of Chinese whispers, listening to Steve Barnes lecture someone about how someone else's English isn't good so, enough. So, for instance... Notice how he keeps on saying, you understand, not do you understand. Here's an excerpt. Um, You use all your influence. You ask Sir Lawrence Brooke. Together you find the money. (laughs) That hints the guy's a foreigner. (laughs) Didn't we already know that he's a foreigner? No, we just presumed it because we're not idiots. (laughs) But Steve Barnes hasn't clocked that the guy's a foreigner. He doesn't use any short forms. Isn't, doesn't, won't, can't. Look at these. Cabral is okay. It is... Your choice if he stay alive. Now, Steve Rogers has written that down, but not seen that that... He's, yeah. he's, he's clocked it enough to remember that he said stay, not stays, when he's writing it down three hours after the phone conversation. But he's not clever enough to think that that leads to the fact the guy's speaking broken English. It's absolute madness. Thank goodness for Mr Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Brings in a bit of technical language, like check those short sentences, Steve. He always uses the present simple tense. This is the real... present simple. Yes, tense. I is that know... a thing? Yes, I don't know if you did A level English language, Chris, but uh, <laughs> the present simple tense is uh, basically a way that um, it's a sort of form of broken English that uh, foreign foreign criminals use. <laughs> <laughs> we then have a debate when uh, the guy uh, calls himself Robert and uh, Steve uh, insists on calling him Bob for no reason. Yeah, we all remember in Sweeper when he shortened a woman's name, Christine, to Chris and was swiftly rebuffed. <laughs> and then the guy says, with a million and a man's life at stake, I'd be foolish to say anything, wouldn't I? I knew you'd understand, I said. We shook hands and he left. Oh, can, can we also uh, pause on a lovely point where, where uh, Bob or Robert says, um, the conclusion we came to was that Chummy was a foreigner. That didn't help me very much. It didn't narrow the field significantly. The world is full of foreigners. <laughs> That's the worst case scenario. We've, we've basically ticked off one nationality. <laughs> so, then he bumps into St Lawrence and he tells Sir Lawrence what he's done and that Chummy is a foreigner. Well, Sir Lawrence also tees up another potential detail here where he's he's recapping what what, uh, Cabral's teacher, Robert, has said. And he says he believes Chummy's a foreigner. Or someone pretending to be foreign, Sir Lawrence added. I nodded. With his customary intelligence, Sir Lawrence had hit on something important. (laughs) His customary intelligence. (laughs) 
Steve oh, Barnes is thick as shit. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's lucky he respects Sir Lawrence so much because I'd have been livid in this case. So English is back on the table. <laughs> I have to say, this idea that the chum is foreign feels like a red herring. Mm. Well, let's wait and see. So uh, then it ends, and um, Steve Barnes uh, tells Sir Lawrence a bit about uh, Yorkshire Ripper, about the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, why? Why? Uh, well, uh, they just get onto the Yorkshire Ripper, uh, but he basically um, he says he's going to record the next phone call, and uh, very well, he said. And if they get a recording, we can ask the police to analysts. They must have experts. They have, I told him. In the case of the Yorkshire Ripper, they contacted an expert at Leeds University. That comment I owed to Peter Penrice. But I let Sir Lawrence believe it was from my own store of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but what I find fascinating is Steve Bruce believes knowledge is owned by one person. Yeah. So where you should find something out from someone else, you don't, that's not your information. Yeah. It's on loan. That's it's okay. a, <laughs> That's a pen race, that one. He's read it twice. <laughs> I don't know if Peter Penrose isn't allowed to use it because it's the, the author of the book's knowledge. Oh, like, yeah. how far it goes back. I would happily sit through a, a fourth book, which is just a social occasion attended by Steve Barnes, Peter Penrose and Sir Lawrence, where Steve Barnes is repeatedly trying to steer the conversation away from the Yorkshire Ripper, <laughs> lest, lest it be revealed that Peter Penrose was the originator of the Leeds University fact. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Just so you know, if you are worried about Steve Bruce being factually incorrect on stuff, we received an email today that I do need to read out from Daniel Owen. This is titled Sweeper Plot Twist. If Charlesworth Street only had three houses, why did the house numbers start at 47? Oh, that's a good oh. How did we not spot that? It's a great detail. Is that the one he went to that smelled of the tripe factory? Yeah, that's the one he <laughs> tripe. Three houses. Oh, it's number 47. <laughs> Now, uh, we start with a, a go to the training ground. We have a riff about um, mental illness in the <laughs> olden days, which I actually have written down next to it quite a progressive approach to mental illness. People so felt safe from those they termed lunatics. It's become clear in a hundred years since that mental illness is something that can affect anyone. All it needs is adverse circumstances and pressures too great for an individual to bear, and anyone can be tipped over the edge into insanity. Mad people, so called, are no different from you or me. I, I just thought, actually, for balance, we should say for all of Steve Barnes's problems, he has a progressive view on mental illness, yes. and I like that. It's a, a rare glimmer of wokeness in the book. <laughs> I, I and actually, since reading it, when I've been involved in conversations about mental health, I'll, I'll actually quote that. Um, obviously, I do owe it to Steve Barnes, but I, I often let people believe it's from my own story. <laughs> So, so then we get uh, they get stuck into a training session with the lads. Um, his mobile phone rings. He expects it to be chummy, but it's Julie. Hang on a minute, Julie. I said. I turned to Jock and Lewis. Give me a few minutes, lads, will you? I said to them. They went to resume training. Hello, Julie. Go ahead. Is it chummy? No, it's something else. She sounded very serious, but then she always does. Go ahead. Tell me. I listened carefully to what she had to say. When she had finished, I thanked her. So I returned to the ground without delay. As he's walking across to his Merc, uh, he gets a call from Chummy. So this call from Chummy is where Steve Barnes attempts to record the phone call. Yep. So that he can play it out to uh, Mr. Robert. Yes, it is a uh, a bit of espionage, 
beset by technical issues. <laughs> Sorry, I said, it's a bad line. Can you hear me? I opened the car door and sat down. I fiddled with the tape recorder. It wasn't going to be easy to record from the telephone, uh, at least not the phone I have. In fact, I might even prove to be impossible. Then I had a brainwave. Pretend to have such a poor line that it was necessary for Chummy to leave a message. In that way, I would have his voice on my answer phone facility. That should be of high quality. And what's more, the police could copy it. Come on, Steve, he said. Bad line, mate, I said, trying to give the right impression. Please leave your message. <laughs> I switched off. I remained in the car. The telephone rang again. I didn't answer. After some time, the ringing stopped. Without wasting time, I checked if the message had been recorded. There was nothing. So uh, then he, then the phone rings again. There's nothing sinister about the phone ringing, but there is a sinister sound when you know what you're about to receive. It's like those dogs that Pavlov did his experiments with. There's no reason for them to salivate at the sound of a bell and not the sight of food, but they had been conditioned. Right at this moment, I felt some sympathy with those beasts. <laughs> I would say... That's my favourite line from this one. It's, it's really good. It's because Pavlov's dog, I would say, is one of those it's one of those sort of social experiment bits of science that has passed into like common reference, yeah. like Schrodinger's cat, where yeah. anyone like lots of people will try and pass that off as a bit of casual and no one more than Steve Barnes. But of all the people to have ever discussed Pavlov's dog, to have expressed sympathy with the dogs themselves. <laughs> and what, what an absolute shocker it must have been being those dogs, of course, because uh, you know, there was no reason for them to salivate at the sound of the bell. It was just the way they'd been conditioned. <laughs> those those beasts <laughs> the thought of waiting for for the phone to ring as well so now it says he waits he waits for 45 minutes as well i'm thinking when, when the phone rings i'm going to get all excited <laughs> like pavlov's bloody beast <laughs> so then the guy phones up and he's like livid uh chummy don't you ever try that again hear me don't you ever try that one again i hear you the tape was turning I use headphones, which made it more difficult for me. Don't use headphones then, Steve. <laughs> What's the setup here? So he's, he's sitting in his car trying to record yeah. a conversation with Chummy. And what's he got? Like a cassette? Is Presumably that... he's got um Late night. Yeah, he's got a tape recorder. Tape recorder. I had to listen to one headphone, try to place the other one near the tape recorder. Why not just do it with the normal why take take the headphones out? This is rife with technical problems <laughs> and anyone, inconsistencies. Anyone this is a nice bit of uh, prose though. Anyone passing by would think I was trying to eat the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that man's trying to eat the radio. <laughs> if you want proof this guy's foreign, he says um no less than one million. Or Cabral dies. This very serious. So it's quite disappointing that the conclusion of this phone call is that he's got to go and wait for another phone call in a, in a, in a phone box. It's, it's said... not as disappointing as what follows, though. Go on. The whole plot, I mean. Because this was the point when I was thinking, this is still interesting. Yeah. I'm still excited about what is going to happen. Of all the Steve Bruce books, I'm probably the most interested by how it's going to play out. He's got to go. He hasn't got the million. This guy's got this um, football player... This is exciting. This is genuinely a situation. And I'd say from the start of the next chapter is when it all goes wrong. Would you agree, Ivo? Yes. But first, um, what happens when he's, when he's driving back? He's reflecting. He, he says, uh, one thing I was certain, Chummy was a nutter. He did not hold Cabral captive ever any more than I did. As for finding one million quid, Chummy could sing for that amount or any amount. And then he switches on the radio, he calls uh, Julie, and he says uh, that she should keep Sir Lawrence there for when he gets back. He turns on the radio, there was music. It was Frank Sinatra. Not my favourite singer, but he was singing Come Fly With Me. I laughed out loud. There was a coincidence. I started to sing along with him. 
I'd reached a big decision. So what decision has the music of Frank Sinatra led him to? He's just going to go, I'm not paying. I think he's going to fly to South America. Of course he is flying to South (laughs) Come fly with me. Isn't about not paying a ransom. (laughs) So, soon as on the motorway, Chummy had been a diversion. Now, at this point, the book changes markedly. Would you agree, Ivo? Yes. So all of that stuff, is it, I don't want to ruin the plot, but to say... All that stuff with Chummy is basically now done. No, he's, he's received a load of phone calls and now he's off to the airport, essentially. He's just now, for the rest of the book, going to Brazil. <laughs> right, OK, so, so he's going to Brazil because... Well, do you remember when he received the phone call from Julie at the training ground? Yeah. yeah. So that's Julie with some information. OK. Oh, but the, he hasn't told us in the book what... The yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Right. He holds stuff back. From us, He's from the reader. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of important. But, but Chummy's going, I'm going to ring you later. We're going to have another chase. And he's just gone, I'm going to South America. Okay. So, I'm, I'm not eating another radio, mate. <laughs> I'm, I'm off to South America. So, so just to be clear, he's essentially decided that Chummy is lying. Yeah. He doesn't have him captive. Yeah. yeah. But he thinks that possibly Cabral is captive or Cabral... No, he's got somewhere. information that Cabral is in Brazil, basically. Okay, fine. So basically, it goes from a... Not a murder mystery, but certainly a crime mystery into a book where a man flies to Brazil to fetch another man. It is appallingly plotted. It yeah. Is, it is badly plotted. It's really... That being said, I would love to uh, score the, the bit in the film where Steve Barnes suddenly decides he's going to Brazil. We're talking a sudden change of music. We're talking a big pan over, you know, that Christ the Redeemer. Sergio Mendes, Brazil 66 on the soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's it... less murder mystery than it's travelogue now. Yeah, he's got a Hawaiian shirt on, loco in Acapulco yeah. playing. <laughs> so... Uh, is it warm in this time, uh, Brazil this time of year, Susan asked? Very warm. I've got to teach yourself... This is a bit of fun from uh, Susan. I've got to teach yourself Spanish book somewhere. Do you want me to find it? They speak Portuguese in Brazil, love. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Steve Bruce is like mate, having characters make mistakes so he can reprimand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she then says, I was testing you. So it's, you know, she stood up for herself. Any one person that's testing us, and that's Steve Bruce, <laughs> page by page. Right. Can I, can I just make a quick prediction? Yeah. There's going to be pages of this where he's sightseeing and describing what he's seeing. There's a little bit too much of that. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, enjoyed the flight down to Heathrow. So, I mean, it would be a waste for someone who writes as poetically about driving across <laughs> the Pennines. Not to, now that he's airborne, offer us a few vignettes from outside the window of his British Airways flight. Uh, so, for first, he flies down to Heathrow, so he can connect in London. For much of the journey, the plane was low enough for me to be able to see the scenes on the ground. And the weather was clear. I saw the hills of the Peak District, white limestone at the bottom end of the Pennine chain, the urban sprawl that is Birmingham, and then the green fields of the home counties. Over London, the pilot followed the course of the River Thames. I was able to see clearly several landmarks, the dome at Greenwich, and the whole outline of the Isle of Dogs, which isn't a complete island at all, and it's a setting for soap opera EastEnders. <laughs> What's, what's Steve Barnes' view on aeroplane food? I think he enjoys it. I think he enjoys the novelty of it. That's exactly it. When people complain of the quality of in-flight food, I always think it's amazing we're eating at all, given we fly these journeys at 30,000 feet or more. <laughs> so that, that puts you in your place next time you're uh, slagging off an in-flight meal. I feel like he's getting to grips with the character of Steve Barnes at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's also realised that he doesn't know any soap operas set in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> so he'll have to do it on airplane food instead. Uh, so then... Um... He kind of thinks about the team. In mid-season, they were dogged with injuries and what? Little callback from old books. Bad luck. Influenza. (laughs) 
our old friend Influenza. What about the murders? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, he arrives in Brazil uh, on a Tuesday evening. So that's when we know it's a Tuesday evening that he arrives in Brazil, he says that. A week before. Yeah. As he walks out, there's a small fat man waiting. On his board is my name. I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Steve. He's been in the newspapers, I believe. Cabral's big news here as well, said Tom. So... So Tom is the guide. Tom's the guide waiting for him at Rio de Janeiro. And he reveals that Cabral, who plays for Championship Club, has been back in Brazil in nightclubs, and that is big news in Brazil, apparently. Right. So our information is correct. He really is here. Tom says, seen coming out of a nightclub? What does Steve ask? Did he have a couple of girls on his arm? That's exactly Exactly what he asked. (laughs) (laughs) With a woman on each arm, question mark. (laughs) He's absolutely obsessed with that image. Always a couple. One on each arm, never enough of just one. No, well, Tom actually says it might might have been even more than two. To which Steve replies, bloody idiots, when will they learn? (laughs) It's part of being young, Steve. It's part of being stupid, I said. (laughs) This guy's a professional. He should behave in a professional way. He's in a cloud of anger. And let's be honest, jealousy here, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) That Cabral is living the two-plus women... (laughs) dream back in Brazil. <laughs> and he says, now where do I find Cabral? Hold on to your horses, Steve. This is South America. Nothing is done today that can't be left until tomorrow. That's no good, Tom. I have to find Cabral, get him on the plane back to England. I know I shouldn't pick up typos because it's littered with them and it's, it's cheap to pick up typos. But he does at one point negotiate a very bust intersection rather than busy. <laughs> a busty intersection is how uh, Cabral leaves a nightclub. <laughs> Basically, Tom suggests that Cabral might not be in Rio. He might have gone all the way home to Sao Raimundo, which is a 1,000 miles away from Rio. A 1,000 miles of highway, cross a river by pontoon, and then the hard slog in a four-wheel, or or a plane journey. So there's more travel to do to get to where where Cabral has gone. (laughs) My heart sank as you described that, because I can see it now coming. I know. Does he do all that? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's yeah, more trouble to come. That, but there's, pl- there's plenty of Rio-based faffing first. <laughs> this is one of my favourite um, interchanges. Can I be Steve Barnes and you be Tom when we discuss the Maracanã? Absolutely. Where's Maracanã Stadium? Estadio Municipal de Maracanã. It holds 155,000 spectators. All seated. <laughs> I don't know why Steve Barnes chips in to make clear that it's an all-seater stadium. <laughs> you know when like, you're in a conversation where you clearly have less knowledge than the other person, but you've just got to keep any sort of foothold <laughs> at all? It's all-seated. Yeah, yeah. I've just had an idea about this whole affair. He started writing the first book in, like, 98? 99. 99. So this, if this is about 99, weren't Manchester United in the Club World Cup in Brazil in 99? Yeah. Do you yeah. think halfway through writing this book, he's gone to watch Manchester United be in the Club World Cup in Brazil? Very interesting. And just hijacked I don't know all. why he'd have gone there, though, because he would have been a manager of Huddersfield Town at the time. He wasn't... But he would have been watching it on TV, yeah. certainly. Yeah. So maybe he's yeah. just imagining what it would have been like. That's yeah. a lot of people sat down in that stadium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he then he, he then he sees Christ the Redeemer. He says, I looked up at the high mountain overlooking the city. At the summit was a large statue. I vaguely remember having read something about it when I was at school. Uh, quite something, isn't it, Tom said. How high is it? Well, over 2,000 feet. We can climb it later if you like. Well, let's see how things go with Cabral, I said. Yes, obviously. <laughs> It's not a jolly. Stop teeing up jaunts. <laughs> they then buy ice cream. 
absolutely no urgency. <laughs> 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 So far, he's flown to Brazil. <laughs> he's not made any he's, effort to find Gibraltar. American art. He's had some ice creams, looked at Christ the Redeemer, and then uh, he heads back uh, to his hotel room for a shower, soft drinks from the minibar. This is all coming out of Sir Lawrence's yeah. pocket. <laughs> and he felt tired, so he has a bit of a kip. <laughs> so yeah, he oversleeps a little bit, uh, and he gets he goes down and says he's, he's got a meeting now. Uh, which Tom has, Tom has arranged. He says it's, it was time now for business, serious business. The business of getting Cabral away from the sunshine and warmth of Brazil and back to the cold spring days of Lettersford. Tom yeah. meets him by Tom, Tom greets him by saying, I guessed you were asleep, and as these gentlemen were delayed, I decided to let you sleep on. There, there's just no urgency to any of this. <laughs> Set up a meeting, and uh, as, as it turned out, they were late and you were asleep, so yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> These two claim that they are soccer agents that represent Cabral in Brazil. Their names are Silvio and Fazenda. It yeah. became clear enough soon that Fazenda was the negotiator and Silvio was only there as backup. So basically, they go into the favelas to this kind of bar. So they're maintaining now that he's held hostage. No, this so guy just... is. This guy, they're like, we can, oh, get, we can you get you to Cabral. Right. Mm. So on the, they've not gone to this other place, Cairo Mundo, yet that they have to go to by plane. They've just driven to the outskirts of, of uh, Rio, where it's a little bit... You get the sense that it is, it's, uh, the word shanty town is used here. Barnes yeah. is, a, is, is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and he says that they, they stop outside one of the few buildings made of brick. Anywhere else it would have been a shabby building, but here, surrounded by zinc, cardboard and plastic, it stood out as a palace. <laughs> you know what you say. What? A brick on its own always looks a bit shabby, but pop it next to some zinc. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see it in a whole new light. So basically, what it turns out is these two are another red herring. So he realises they're a complete waste of time. These two aren't going to lead him to Cabral. But they've asked him for money as well. So he's gone to Brazil just to be asked for more money for information about Cabral. And as he says, there's no way I was going to give money to these dumbos. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a waste of time. OK, what's now what? Uh, he goes back to the hotel, tells them Rates to wait the outside the hotel while he gets the money, and then he just never goes back outside the hotel. <laughs> They wait. Isn't it over? That's basically what happens. <laughs> any any other bits? <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's pretty much all we get of Silvio and Fazenda. Uh, so he goes back to his room. He feels hungry. It's it's very. Uh, you know, so he phones down, asks for room service. They say, "Why don't you come down? We're serving the midday meal." I took her advice. The meal was self service. There's lots of everything: cuts of meat, hot and cold, vegetables of all descriptions, salad, rice, potatoes, pumpkin, an assortment of cool drinks, and finally, puddings and cakes. The only problem was deciding what to have. Staying in a very fine hotel with a small will. It's just like, he's just on a fucking jolly. It's insane. (laughs) This this is the kind of observation about holiday making that that would be insufficient even in a sort of light rom-com novel, let alone in 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 a detective novel. He's basically got two hours until they get in their private plane to Sao Romundo, and he's gone down to the buffet and he's gone, there's too much at the buffet... And uh, with my lack of willpower, this could mean putting on a lot of weight. He says, I could still hear the small voice of conscience telling me to eat frugally, but on this occasion, I decided not to listen to that nagging voice. Like, who is he winking at when he's, when he's, <laughs> when he's talking? You know, obviously, uh, a football manager does have to uh, look after his weight, but occasionally, away from the eyes of Sir Lawrence, you can tuck into all the pumpkin and salads and puddings and cakes you want to <laughs> in Brazil. So then you might say, what happened to the guys outside? Well, they do come back. I'd just drunk two long glasses of iced orange juice. <laughs> when the doorman entered the room, he picked me out and came over. There's two gentlemen outside. Yes? 
They say they're waiting for you. He spoke English correctly, but slowly. Tell them to get lost, I said. I never want to see them again. He smiled and left the room. So that's the end of those two. <laughs> <laughs> he finishes his meal with a cup of tea and biscuits. He now has a choice. Does he get an hour's sleep um, or get some exercise? I decided to combine exercise with sightseeing. So he goes sightseeing. He says, there was no knowing if I would ever travel to Brazil again. Wrong priority. <laughs> I've only got an hour before the private plane, and I'm quite full of biscuits and double orange juice, but uh, who knows when I'm going to be back in Rio again. <laughs> so he buys a guidebook. For an hour! <laughs> I, I bought a guidebook. I learned that a Portuguese captain who had arrived there on the, 15, on the 1st of January 1502 had named the city originally. He, I mean, there's a whole paragraph about the history of the city now. So okay. then he climbs in as how he climbs up to Christ the Redeemer, he gets that ticked off. In an hour? Yeah. <laughs> also, the confidence which, that he has about these... I mean, I know that, uh, what are they called, Silvio and Fazenda haven't placed a huge threat so far. But nonetheless, if there were dodgy people waiting outside your hotel and you had a flight to get to in an hour and you had an escort from the British Council, you probably wouldn't sneak out to do a bit of sightseeing. <laughs> you, go, you might say, has he only got an hour? Well... He checked his watch. When he gets back, by the time I returned, Tom Spence was waiting for me. He checked his watch, tapping it and smiling. Sorry I'm late, Tom. I went up the statue, the monument. It's quite something, isn't it? I wouldn't have missed it for the world and certainly not for a couple of hours sleep. So he's late for his plane. Yeah. Tom doesn't give a shit. <laughs> so they take off in the private plane. They're, they're well below cloud level all the way. Good bit of intel. He has an unrivaled view of the country. Of course we get a bit of detail about the famous Brazilian rainforest. And... Uh, uh, the, the pilot starts to read while they're flying. Yeah. What, what's what's the pilot reading? Stryker. More important. <laughs> what a fantastic detail that would be. <laughs> the pilot was reading Striker by Steve Bond. <laughs> I'm afraid he's actually reading Time magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Tom offers him sandwiches and orange juice on the plate. That's the last thing he needs. He's just eating everything at the buffet. He's actually smashing for his orange juice. He's looking at the shits at this rate. And then uh, they get there. He writes, I fell asleep on the plane. Slightly losing the will to live here. No, it's good, it's good. So, are you worried about what's going to happen with Chummy? No, not anymore. (laughs) So then... Are you worried about the money? You must be worried about how much money this is all costing. Because that's that's what that's what Tom says on the plane. He says, "Who's paying for all this?" And uh, and Steve says, "Well, the, the club is playing, but in the end, it will actually be Cabral. Cabral will be paying him back. Will be paying him back by playing a blind against Brid- Bridford City, and uh, and they'll, they'll get promoted to the Premier League, and it'll mean stacks of money from television rights. Gates will increase. Any club that pr- gets promoted stands to make millions. Oh yes, Cabral is important to us, very important, and that's how the chapter ends. So with with you know basically saying." We're expensing the, the F out of this trip. But don't you worry. Once we pick up this... I mean, what a lot of pressure on Cabral to be have a good game against Bridford City. Because <laughs> that's going to get him promoted and then, you know, all the money it's spent on... It's a huge, huge gamble. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, Cabral doesn't appear to give a shit at this point. <laughs> it's placing a lot of faith in the fact that Cabral's going if to... If they do find him at all, and if he's not been killed, that he's going to come back to England willingly and then really throw himself into the remainder of the season just to apologise for his actions. The thought that Cabral will be slightly phoning in in a game and then he'll glance at the sideline and St- Steve Bruce will sort of mime drinking two glasses of orange juice at the same time to remind him of just how much money was wasted on the Brazil trip. So they land in Cabral's hometown... They, they meet a guy who's seen Cabral the previous day. So there's no mystery here. Mm. Simply no mystery. Well, hang on, Josh. When, when, they, when they get to Cabral's address, who, who's waiting outside? Oh, is it the media? It's a huge crowd of media. 
So, so they be, they've been beaten there by, by, by what seems to be the entirety of the Brazilian press. So he turns up at his house, all the media's there. He doesn't say anything to them. But but they they want to speak to him though. They know who he is. Yeah, they know. Mics were being shoved in his face. Questions were fired like bullets from a machine gun. Some in Portuguese, some in English. It wasn't always the kind of English I could immediately pick up. Oh God, it's more it's more foreigners. <laughs> foreigners trying to speak English. They're, they're speaking the present simple. <laughs> Barnes is surrounded by present simple now, and he just can't handle it. So then he goes into the house and he's introduced to all the generations of Cabral's family. Tom Spencer greets everyone. So yep. Tom Spencer's actually quite uh, quite, quite chummy, if you'll excuse uh, that, that word, with, with, with all of Cabral's <laughs> family. Uh, huge amounts of family here, brothers, sisters, little ones, children of relatives, children of neighbours, all generations and ages were, were represented. One boy, who might have been aged around 10 or 11, seemed more excited than the other children. He ran around shouting something in what I took to be Portuguese. Stefa Barnza, Staff Barnza, <laughs> United United <laughs> I smiled when at last I realised he was uttering my name and the word United. (laughs) Amazing, I thought. The name United was known throughout the world. That was a known fact. A great surprise was that my name had penetrated into the Brazilian heartland. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan Barnes. Can't He can't resist the temptation to big up his own international rep. Well, I guess there's the argument that because Cabral plays for Stefan Barnza, then the Stefan Barnza's own legend. Has sort of... <laughs> <laughs> those are the only circumstances. You know, if you... If you if... How many children of 10 or 11 in 1999 were aware of Steve Bruce in the north of Brazil? I would happily fund my own documentary where I go to a series of Brazilian favelas and see how many small children recognise championship managers. <laughs> children running around. Gary Rowett! Gary Rowett! <laughs> What are you googling, Michael? Well, I was just curious if I put uh, English to Portuguese translation. If I put yeah. Steve Barnes, yeah, yeah. would it come back as Stefan? Yeah. It, it's just Steve Barnes. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Because if Ronaldo came over here, I wouldn't run around shouting Ronald. <laughs> Chrissy Ronald. Chrissy Ronald. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, like, the peak of Steve Bruce, like, what, that, 94, 95? Would the world's most excitable 10 or 11-year-old run around their living room going, Steve Barnes! <laughs> Steve No! Well, I guess the Man U team of the mid-90s were, quite, you know, were, were, were iconic in their own way. You know. Gary Pallister couldn't even go to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> he, wouldn't even, he wouldn't even make it off the plane. So then uh, Cabral comes out of the shower. Well, he's actually Steve taking... Barnes worries that Cabral will have done a runner from the shower, but Tom says he won't because he's at his parents' house and he has a lot of respect for his parents. Finally, at that moment, Cabral entered the room. So at this point, this page 103 of 128, he's just... There's no twist. He is just there. He's gone to Brazil. He's at his family home in Brazil. He's having a shower. Sure, he'll be out after his shower. He's at his shower. Here he is. <laughs> Right, son, I'm sorry, boss. Not as sorry as I am, I said, still smiling, for the benefit of the family. Cabral's mother said something. Tom explained that she had given me permission to beat her son if he did not behave in good ways. There was more laughter. At this stage, I did not ask him to explain his return to Brazil without telling anyone or seeking permission. He informed me he was now ready to return. Today, I said, OK, boss, the plane is waiting. What time do we leave? 
No, I said right now. Okay, we go now. So that's that. So. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he is, I mean, he has given up, hasn't he? So I've... he's teed it up as like, well, at least when he meets Cabral, there's going to be a bit of difficulty persuading him to come back. But not really. It, it feels it's like this awesome. entire Brazilian jolly was written so that that young kid could recognise Steve Barnes. <laughs> that, that's that's, that's, that's the only logic. And then he was going to do it in Rio, and then once he'd written him to Rio, he thought, what if it isn't even in Rio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, anyone in Rio is going to recognise Stefan Barnes. But what, <laughs> what was really going to differentiate me from the rest of my uh, mid 90s central offensive peers is when even people in the favelas. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they then get on the flight. He falls asleep. <laughs> uh, it means he did not have to talk to anyone or look down from the canopy. They say that the rainforest has cleared and eroded and will, if steps are not taken soon, cease to exist except in small clumps here and there. Looking down from above, it still appears dense enough. <laughs> Well, it's sad to be that revisiting that this. Yeah. Sad to be revisiting this novel now, obviously, as the, uh, <laughs> yeah. as, the, as the Amazon is destroyed. Yes. Uh, okay. So then they go back to the hotel, and now he's going to ask Cabral to explain. Let's hear the full story, Cabral. The whole truth, no nonsense. So they're back in England now. Uh, no, 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 they're back in Rio. Rio. Right. He basically interrogates Cabral about about yeah. about why he went. He asks him. His first question is, "Do you have a problem with girls?" Yeah. And Cabral says, "No, I don't have a problem with girls." So why did you leave uh, without telling anyone? And uh, what was his answer, Josh? I suffer, boss. I suffer from. He turned to Tom Spencer for help, and with a word. Homesickness, Tom said. Homesickness, yes. Do you know, Cabral, this might surprise you, but he looked concerned. I believe you, son. I understand. And then he talks about when he left Newcastle to go to Gillingford. As an apprentice, there was times when he'd be homesick. I was just going to say I've read his biography and that's a big part of it. Oh, is the, it? A young Steve Bruce being homesick. Oh, really? Uh, well, lim- that's quite tender, maybe, that this yeah. is, he sort of reads his own... Uh... So, basically, then he hangs around. Sleep well the next morning, I check in on Cabral. They spend another night in Rio. Another big sleep, another long reminisce about about sort of uh, about Rio and its and its, and its many sites. And we ate breakfast and then I behaved like a tourist again. Yeah, they take the funicular railway to the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. Uh, they uh, they they talk about how much international cuisine there is in uh, in Rio. This is basically an episode of Travel Man. Uh, this that. next bit is phenomenal. Uh, boss Cabral said once we were on the plane and in the air. Boss. On Monday, I play like a blind man. <laughs> I shook my head. You better not, I said. But, sir, I waved away his protests. <laughs> what, where, where do you think I this think, is? I think he's meant to say, I'm going to play a blind man. Oh, Chris, you're starting <laughs> to understand this. But Steve Barnes hasn't just not got the, not got the translation. Please. <laughs> He needs to tell him off. <laughs> Cabral has decided to play the match. Like <laughs> he thought, after all this, Cabral has made the decision to play like a blind man. <laughs> you better not. Yeah, yeah. That is a bad decision. Yeah, yeah. Please don't play like, like a blind Cabral's man. Cabral's turned on him. Yeah. This is this isn't the game to be experimenting with this new blind man tactic. Is it, but there's, there's lots of inter- is he, is he maybe say? Do you think he, he might think that uh, Cabral's saying, "Listen, boss, we, we can beat Pritifer with our eyes closed." No, no, let's not have this level of complacency. <laughs> you better not, I said. But <laughs> you better not. <laughs> you better not. 
<laughs> you better not play like a blind man. Why have you waited till the plane's done? We've just been up Sugarloaf Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how much bloody orange juice I'm drinking in your, your fucking country? But also, it's great that... So he, he's why it's revealed. It's sweet as you, well. You, you, you better not. I want you to play the best game of your life. This game is very important. We must win three points and stop Brideford getting a point. Doesn't need to say that. Understand? He looked puzzled still. I want you to play the best game ever, I said. Go out there and play a blinder. Yes, he says, smiling broadly. I play like a blind man. So the fact that Steve Barnes... Steve Barnes was the one who brought in play, play a blinder, but still doesn't clock the relation between the two expressions. Don't play like a blind man. Play a blinder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I play like a blind man. I play a blind. <laughs> what, we're not going to settle this one? You've got your views, I've got mine. Uh, I tried to explain to them the difference, but he did not understand. But then, I'm no teacher of English. But, I mean, good, in, in a way, good that they settled that on the plane rather than half an hour into the match. <laughs> Cabral insisted on <laughs> taking a guy dog off. <laughs> We're then chapter eleven. We're back on the training ground. He wants to. He wants the the team to train on Saturday uh, to weld the squad together as a unit, one for all and all for one, as the three musketeers always say in the famous tale. <laughs> also, if you want the squad to be together as one, don't go to Brazil to bring back a player yeah. and then put him straight back into the first team. So he's. Uh, so, so, so then he goes. Um, he talks to the team. Right, lads, gather around. He gives them a talk to try and get Cabral back in. Yeah, He says, um, let me tell you the truth. It was for domestic reasons. We all go through our domestic difficulties. It's part of life, like death and taxes. Some things can't be avoided. That raised a smile among the players. I didn't tell them that remark about death and taxes wasn't original. Oh, no. <laughs> He's passing off someone else's gear as his own again. <laughs> Not from his store of knowledge. <laughs> no, no, the players are going to think that's from his store of knowledge. But it's, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a Penrise. That's a Penrise. <laughs> Death and taxes. Death and taxes. Also, it's, it's, it's funny that he's giving the team a team talk to basically say, don't resent Cabral for the stress that he's caused um, because domestic difficulties can strike anyone and it could be you. Yeah, oh yeah. While he's giving this talk to the players, he says, I'd been careful not to use Cabral's name. He would understand very little, if anything at all, of what I was saying. But if he heard his name, well, that would place him on the defensive. So he's basically the logic... And, we, we you know... We, how much English Cabral speaks has been a tedious running theme of this whole novel. But basically, he's now assuming that his English is so bad, deaf as well as blind, perhaps, that he can basically tell the whole squad in front of Cabral, listen, I know you're going to be mighty pissed off with this, uh, this Brazilian truant, but you've got to bond together for the game against Bridford. But if he doesn't mention Cabral's name, Cabral's just got no idea that they're talking about him. Cabral will just be stood there. Um, he says you've got, to, you've got to have every muscle in your body's got to be strong. He talks about the muscles in the chest. You might say, consider how often a player has to bring the ball down with his chest. Being unable to use the arms or hands, strong players have to have strong chest muscles. Think of Emil Heskey at Liverpool. <laughs> I've never thought of Emil Heskey as having a particularly strong chest. Mm. And I don't think having strong chest muscles is how you control the ball on your chest. No. <laughs> I don't think that was... Also, the, the Liverpool phase of Heskey's career wasn't a hugely glorious phase of his career, was it? <laughs> well, Steve Bruce is like a, a really solid championship-level manager. And I guess at that level, maybe chest muscles are important. Yes. Well, you say. 
was also part of Cabral's repertoire. Although at first sight he looks very slim, his body is highly toned and muscular. He not only has a six-pack on his abdomen, but powerful muscles across his chest. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> what a strange point to riff about the importance of chest muscles. Steve Barnes is essentially saying, listen, if you looked at Cabral you know, wearing a T-shirt, you'd think he was actually probably quite, quite chubby, but uh, if he whips it off, he's like Emil Heskey down there. <laughs> So he's, he's teeing them up for the Bridford game. We've got we've got a few pages left, and we've got this Bridford match to come. Bridford have scored a bag of goals this season, uh, but their their defence is quite weak. Look, he tells them not to go out that night. There's a great sentence at one point where Heskey comes back in again, and he says. Uh, they practice so long and hard that on the day things seem easy, often effortless. But don't be fooled by this. When a player such as Heskey brings a ball down with his chest and lays it off, this is the end result of hours spent building thoracic muscles. <laughs> is that your throat? He's, he's absolutely obsessed with Emil Heskey's chesting muscle, <laughs> chesting skills. You to casually watch Heskey chesting it down, you, you think he's fluked that, but actually that is that's hours of thoracic muscle work. <laughs> Right. The stadium is packed for capacity for the first time since Christmas when we played against the high-flying Premier League ship club and I'd say this is my favourite team of all the made ones up. Birkpool. Birkpool. And can you remind us of the stakes of this game? Uh, Championship playoff congested. It's spring, it's March, April. So it is a six-pointer. So then he does make an error. Uh, because he then goes back to this game. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> and then he says the air was cold, but nobody noticed. There was a buzz around the stadium. One side of the ground was packed with Birkpool supporters. No, that was that was the that was the third round of the cast. <laughs> Occasionally, you get real glimpses yeah. of, of what a first draft this is. <laughs> If I was Steve Bruce's publisher, I'd be saying, just be careful. If you're, if you're going to write it in a stream of consciousness style, I wouldn't reference other games because you're only going to tie yourself in knots. He's unable to say, God, the stadium was nearly as packed as it, as it was in the Birkpool game earlier in the season. Anyway, back to the present day. The ground was packed with Birkpool fans. <laughs> right. What were, here's a quick quiz, four things that the Birkpool fans are waving at this game. Okay, flags. Correct. Those wooden clackers. No. Free clackers. No, free clackers. <laughs> what, are they mocking? No, no, the like the fans. Are, so they're waving like flags. Scarves. They're waving scarves. Correct. Yep. Are, I'd say there are two easy ones. <laughs> You've got the two easy Inflate, ones. Some sort of inflatable. No. Blow up goat or something. No. no. Blow up goat. No, no. What, the, the famous Birkpool goat? <laughs> uh, do you want to hear? Yeah. yeah. Hands and teddy bears. <laughs> Any explanation? No. No. Not really. You name it, those people will wave it. <laughs> You name it, those people were waving it. I mean, One of my favourite phrases. And they had been since the match that they attended several weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you play Burtpool once in a season, you're still clearing out those teddy bears <laughs> six months later. Um, so then the match starts and they win. <laughs> they, they, they go 2 nil down as per right. and then it all turns around. Basically, they, they just win the game. That's not really the point, because what we're doing is we're approaching, finally, the twist in the story. Oh, yes. What? Oh, because I'm just thinking there's no stakes here. Yeah, we're just wrapping this up now. No, okay, no, we're not. We're not. The fact, Chummy? We're going to find out who Chummy was? Chris. No? Chris is on form today. <laughs> is it? Oh! We're only a page from the end here. Yeah, I'm excited about this twist. Yeah? You ready? Can I guess now? 
Is it a character in this book or is it a, a character from way earlier? What, Peter Sutcliffe? <laughs> Um, so Julie says you've got an appointment with Mr. Shaw. He's already waiting in reception. Oh, fuck God. That's it. <laughs> was that your thoughts? Uh, that's no. the translator. Oh, that wasn't your thoughts. No, I would be hoping it'd be the uh, the assistant from the first book reading uh, from prison or something. Oh no, I mean, no. That would be a hell of a MacGuffin. No. <laughs> so he's got so an appointment little. with Mr. Shaw. He's also got he's, the other. We we just get a, a brief glimpse of the rest of his day as well. Uh, BBC Match of the Day called. So that's good. Yeah, that's I don't know if that ever happens. Oh, well, he's in the championship, though. Yeah, yeah. But as, as we all know, if a championship game is good enough, they'll put it on match of the day. That's, <laughs> that, that's the rule. So Des Lynham has called up to <laughs> yeah. say, uh, really enjoyed your 5-2 win <laughs> over Britterford. And, uh, and also, and a couple of young ladies would like to interview for the university newspaper. <laughs> that's great news. So he can't go nightclubbing with these girls, but, uh, but he will get interviewed by them. So anyway, I'll I'll see the teacher my first. I said I'll I'll get him myself. Shall we Shall we do the conversation together, Ivo? Yes. I walked out to reception. Robert Shaw is a tall man, but not as tall as I am. We shook hands. Come through, Bob. He followed me through. We went into the office. Have a seat, Bob. Robert, the teacher said, sitting down. What's that? Robert. The name is Robert. I don't like Bob. Right. Tell me, do we pay you well? Yes. Hourly rates, is it? That's right, Cabral's made a lot of progress. Yes, I've noticed. Great strides. Thanks. I tried to give good value for money. His face had a worried look. If he boasted too much of progress, he might lose what hours he already had. So if we increased your hours with Cabral, you'd be able to accept? Absolutely. And if we decrease them? He looked crestfallen. I can't work miracles in just one or two hours a week, Stephen. Steve. I don't mind being called Steve. (laughs) Such a weird <laughs> work. This is the last page approach. of the book as well. The different approach to shortenings and lengthenings of name. Mm. And also the fact that thus far this this is just a chat about the tricky job of a language coach where if, if you coach the person too well, you're, you're out of a job. And also Steve is, is saying that, yeah, he's, you know, Cabral's made great strides when last chapter he was so confident about how bad Cabral's English was, he was able to have a conversation about him in front of the entire <laughs> squad of training. <laughs> It's a question, you understand, of getting the balance right. We have concentrated on oral work, but he needs to be able to read and write better in English. Sure, Bob. You're the expert. I paused. Tell me, are you married? No. So you're not short of money, Bob? He was showing signs of agitation. He wanted to tell me yet again that his name was Robert, but he was in my office <laughs> and he didn't want to lose his job as a teacher. Steve is, is loving. I can't believe Just it. wielding this Bob thing over him. It's a real opportunity to say, well, oh, well, you, you make a Bob or two. Oh, and, yeah. Like, this feels like the thing that would be well up. Oh, Steve yeah, Bob. he's talking Just about the early... Oh, what an open goal missed. <laughs> I would like to continue teaching Cabral and any other foreign player who needs help with the language. In fact, it would be better if I had a group of three or four... Then we could do more group walk, be more interactive. And for that you need more money, Bob. What's all this about money? He asked, flaring up briefly. And my name is Robert. <laughs> Don't be angry, I replied. We can be friendly about this. I want you to be my chum, Bob. Chum? Yes, Bob. We can be chummy. <laughs> there was anger on his face. He was accustomed to being in control, and now he was losing it. So, so let's talk terms, he said. His lips quivered. No, let's talk about wasting time, Bob. What? Wasting my time, chummy. He shook his head in what he intended to be bewilderment, but I think he now understood. You know enough about English to pretend to be a foreigner. (laughs) You know enough about this area to send me on a merry chase. 
wasting my time pretending that you'd kidnapped Cabral. One million quid. Do you think I was born yesterday? When? When did you guess, he asked, stumbling over his words. <laughs> he, just, he just admits it. You tried to put me off the scent, getting me to believe that the kidnapper was a foreigner. You knew how to make deliberate errors. And there was one serious mistake. Yes? Here in this office, you mentioned one million quid ransom. I'd never told you the amount. I went to the door. I asked Julie to come in. Julie, ask the chairman to come in, will you? Tell him he needs to make a phone call to the chief constable. Will do, she said. I turned to Chummy. Sir Lawrence has an excellent command of English, Bob. You know, don't you, being a teacher of English, that you can tell a lot about a person from the way they speak. Great. Can we, who's going to do the last sentence of the book? Oh, you can have it, Josh. It is absolutely astonishing. This is how the book ends. By this time, he was crying. Do you know what? I didn't give a damn. <laughs> That's the last sentence of the last book. <laughs> and I love it. It just says, the end. The end. <laughs> Do books end with the end? Not, Not really, <laughs> generally. Oh, I think because it's oh. such an unconvincing end, he has to put the end. Because otherwise we would just literally be thinking that we'd, we'd lost a page somewhere. Chummy. Also, the, 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 the way he wields this knowledge of it. Firstly, Chummy is, an, is a nickname that he's privately decided to give the guy. So him repeatedly saying, you know what I mean, Chummy. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to the Bob guy, right? It's mad. It's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing book. What did you think of it? I mean, the first half, I was, I was gripped. Yeah. And then it goes completely off a cliff. Well, there's no mystery in the second. <laughs> Once he gets to Brazil, it's just a linear narrative about a man meeting another man in Brazil. There are about four different story strands set up that just go absolutely <laughs> yeah. nowhere. Yeah. I was yeah. relieved with the resolution of Chummy at the end. That yeah. was nice. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a shame that for a decent family man such as Steve Buzz, he, he revels so much in the fact that he's made he's made Bob cry at the very <laughs> yeah. end. Um it's been an absolute joy. What a roller coaster the three uh, books have been. I'm mm. going to miss Steve Barnes. I am. Favourite of the three? Either of the other two, I'd say, happily. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not this one. This is the worst one. I'd say the first one's the best one. The first one by distance is the best one. Because the second one, I didn't understand what was going on with all the Israel and who was representing who. And yeah. careful what you wish for. Because here we are in a third one, and it's it's so easy to understand. Yeah, it's too I, easy. I feel like the first one would have gone to cinema. By this third book, it's straight to video. Yeah. yeah. But the Brazilian buyout of this third one, I think, would make him a wealthy, wealthy man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, everyone in Brazil knows the name Stefa Barnza. Stefa Barnza! Ivo Graham, thank you very much. Uh, we do. I do actually have a gift for you, Ivo, or gifts, plural. Oh, lovely. Um, to say thank you for going on this journey with us. Uh, we have got you a copy, not an original, because they are now on Amazon for over a £1,000. But a are they? Striker is now on Amazon. I looked today. It's, someone's got a copy for sale for £1,000. I'm going to say it. I think we are we have contributed. heavily responsible yeah. for that. That has gone up 500% since yeah. we started these podcasts. It's insane. But we have we have got you a, a copy of each of the books. So, you know, Gosh. I know you uh, you had a child not so long ago. Yes. When, when she is of age to, oh, uh, it will to receive a bedtime story, perhaps one of these will make it onto the list. Well, unlike Peter Penrice, I do like to read books more than once. <laughs> And we've also got you a, a, a one-off bespoke created by us 
uh, Lettersford Town football shirt. Oh, my God. Complete with a, a club crest, which is... a. Uh, you know, it's Steve Bruce's face uh, <laughs> merged with the actual uh, Huddersfield oh Town God. badge. And, uh, of course, they're sponsored by Jaguar. Oh, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Thank you for going so, on this journey. So that's pre, um, pre-book three, really. Yeah. Because the Jaguar sponsorship fell through, leading to him <laughs> ending up with a Merc. Yeah. 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 They pulled it mid-season. <laughs> they pulled it the mid-season. I was hoping the sponsor might be Sir Lawrence's Chemicals. <laughs> Um, I love this, and I can't wait to wear the shirt on holiday to Brazil. <laughs> People go, is that Stefan Barnza? <laughs> um, it's been an absolute privilege doing this. Thank you so much, guys. Another victory and another step closer to our dream. Maybe we can, after all, repeat the achievements of 1967. There we go. Ivo Graham, Steve Bruce's murder mystery novels. Genuinely, yeah. when we started them, what, three years ago, I, I think my, they will always remain my favourite episodes, possibly, that we will ever do. I'm so sad the trilogy is over. I know. But my worry is, if Steve Bruce brought one back, you know when something comes back that you loved and it's not as good? It's too self-aware, yeah. I, I worry that Steve Bruce would, if he did another one now, for a start... Well, the part of me would be interested to see, because he, would he do a time hop to what Steve Barnes is up to 20 years later? Yeah. And what would you hope he is? I'd hope he's a director of football at a, a Premier League team <laughs> at Mulcaster who've won three European Cups under his tutelage and then he's gone upstairs. I'd have gone the other way. I'd want it opening. It's an older Steve Barnes. He's overlooking the sea somewhere in the Canaries. He's retired. He's been out of the game for ages. He gets a call. Barry Ballister's dead. <laughs> he comes out of retirement. Opening scenes, black. The sound of a garage door slowly opening. The old Jags there. Oh, rusty, yeah. Tucked away, he's back. But That's what you'd want. I'll tell you what it would be. Oh, what would you want? Well, I think I'd want Steve Barnes to be on the run for a crime he didn't commit. <laughs> and there's rumours of reports of seeing Steve Barnes in South America. He's had yeah. plastic surgery. Oh, yeah. But the reality is maybe he's just hiding out in a sewer somewhere. <laughs> he's hiding out naked on the moor. <laughs> <laughs> um, all great ideas. All great ideas. I'd say what it would actually be is he'd be uh, the manager of a team called Newbra in the northeast of England, and he'd be getting a lot of flack from the fans because their previous Spanish manager, Jose Bonanez, <laughs> was very popular indeed. And the owner of Sports Store won't give him any transfer funds. Do you think whenever Steve Bruce deals with Mike Ashley now, he thinks, I wish it was Sir Lawrence. <laughs> Mike Ashley is so far from Sir Lawrence. <laughs> can He's be like the opposite end of the spectrum. He's new money. He's <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> right, let's get on to reviews. Now, with reviews, uh, they have got a Steve Barnes edge this time, haven't they, Michael? Yeah, so what we want you to do in a shameless attempt to get people to give us five-star reviews, we want you to go onto iTunes, leave us a five-star review, write a paragraph of fan fiction based in the Steve Barnes, Steve Bruce universe. By fan fiction, we don't mean, like, the sex stuff. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't make it sex. Oh, don't, oh really? Oh, <laughs> That poor secretary. <laughs> uh, and we'll pick our favourite Sir Lawrence, one. lent over. <laughs> I mean, saying that, is there a... 
Steve the cap- Barnes write a porno spin-off podcast. <laughs> <that we can do. laughs> Could I just say, I don't want us to get thrown off iTunes <laughs> because of too many lewd reviews, so we won't be reading any yeah. that cross into lewdness. No, Skull! No. But if we did, no. what way to go? <laughs> What uh, a fitting testament. <laughs> write a review. <laughs> write a review. We'll pick our favourite each week. And excitingly, the person who wins will receive a copy. We've got hold of some copies. They are copies. They're not the originals. They're worth far too much money. We've got hold of some copies of the Steve Barnes trilogy. We'll give a copy to our favourite review each week. You can't buy them. You, can't, you literally can't, you can't buy, buy them. them. So it's it's in the voice of Steve Bruce writing. What, what we want is a paragraph that could fit easily yeah. into defender, striker, or sweeper. I, for one, cannot wait. <laughs> as much as I like haikus. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, um, and we don't want the Barnes stuff sent to email, that won't be accepted it's, it's, it's as a review, but yeah. if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, this is how. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, it's time to end the episode as we always do. It's the quiz. Yeah, I mean, you all know the score by now. Chris and Josh face off against each other in a 90s football quiz for the right to pick which song plays out the show. And it's the return of the old favourite, starting 11. Now, in the break, we've had a lot of people messaging in and basically saying they love the game, but they don't like it when Skull loses so quickly. <laughs> so, so could we okay. change the format slightly and give both of you an extra life? So if you get one wrong... You get okay. another yep. go. And because this has been a, a Steve Bruce special, what better match to pick than what I would say is Steve Bruce's defining Can moment? I guess. As a Jeffrey Wednesday. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Any points for that? No. <laughs> extra, extra life for that? Manchester United versus Sheffield Wednesday, 10th of April, 1993. Bruce scores two goals late into the game and arguably the turning point for United to win the first Premier League. Yeah. So I'm going to start with you, Chris. Pick a player from the two teams... You know the deal. If they played, you continue. If they didn't play, you lose a life. If they came on as a sub, you pick again. Steve Bruce. Correct. <laughs> um, Nigel Worthington. And the reason I know that is I vividly... My main memory of that is he was just leaning up against the goalpost as the ball went past him. and he, <laughs> It literally, he just needed to move to clear it. I mean, it's... And then, man, you wouldn't have dominated... Yeah, you're for cr- you're 25 correct. years. Imagine if I've been wrong then. Uh, my favourite bit about that clip as well is like he watches the ball go in, doesn't do anything, and then someone collides into him. He's like, <laughs> oh, that's really annoying. <laughs> like, pay attention, Nigel. Um, surely Gary Pallister was at the back with Steve Bruce that day. Correct. Yeah. Schmeichel? Correct. Uh, pretty sure Brian Robson would have been there lifting the trophy. Oh, he's he's going to be injured, mate. He's injury prone. Can I just kind of retract that? Uh, Cantona. Correct. Mark Sparky Hughes. Correct. Was he there with his famous volleying? Uh, Brian McClare. Correct. Paul Ince. Correct. Uh, Strong team that day, wasn't it? Very strong. Uh, Kevin Pressman. Incorrect. Chris Woods. Correct. Oh. So Chris has got one life left. Josh still has two. Dennis Irwin. Great. Correct. Great one. So there are two United players left. Yeah. Paul Parker. 
Correct. We've done well here, haven't we? We, we don't think we've said gigs, have we? Gigs? Chris Skull's going with the wrong gigs. Oh, it's Lee Sharp. Correct. Oh. Oh. Not gigs, yeah. Sorry, there are three. There is a third United player. Oh, okay. I think we've lost. It's the other winger, probably. Um, there's got to be some famous Sheffield Wednesday players. Um, John Harks? It's early for Harks. Incorrect. Ah! So one life each. It's. I'm going to go Waddle. Correct. Oh, great one. I'm going to go Colton Palmer. Correct. Oh, this is an absolute classic. Lee Sharp. That's a deep, deep... Oh, is it Konchowskis? Who I'm trying to think would be on that wing. The correct answer was Lee Sharp. Oh, he's oh. done it. So is that Man U done? That is Manchester United completed. Oh, my word. Uh, Brian Robson did come on as a substitute for Paul okay. Parker, but... Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go with um, a Sheffield Wednesday player, Andy Sinton. I was going to say that, but I think it's early for Sinton. Nah, it's the right time. He might have been injured, though. Incorrect. Oh, Skull takes it. Uh, you went first, so Skull has to... Skull. No, Skull went first. Go went first. Yeah, it's okay. a clean win, Michael. So we're trying to rob, it's like VAR. <laughs> let him, let, let, me, let me like, even see, I can't even celebrate now. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back trying to find reasons why I haven't won. <laughs> Congratulations, Chris. You oh, opened shit. the series with a victory. What song would you like to play out the show? Well, seeing as we've closed uh, a detective-based kind of trilogy, can we close out this episode with a theme tune to Inspector Morse? Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with Dara O'Brien talking about Ireland. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.